Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast, show number 79. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. So Katie May grew up in the Midwest eating chicken, beef, mashed potatoes, and leaving the overcooked vegetables drenched in butter on her plate until her parents forced her to eat them. So this is already not a great start in terms of having a healthy relationship with healthy food. And it got worse from there in high school. Um, she and her dad discovered Atkins for a while. And she began um, binging on ice cream. Um, she described herself as subclinical anorexic, became a, a food addict. And all at the same time, she was interested in medicine, in helping people and saving lives, and really didn't make any connection between food, nutrition and health. Until one day, something happened. And it's such a mundane, simple thing. And yet it completely rewired her brain, changed her career path, changed her mind about everything she thought was true about health. And it just happened in a single instant. Fast forward to today, Katie May is a uh, cooking instructor at True North Health Center. And she's come up with a whole bunch of uh, cookbooks based on the philosophy of True North, which is whole food, plant-based, and no added oil, salt, or sugar. She is um, the author of several cookbooks, including an Italian cookbook, a Mexican cookbook, and she's compiled a dessert cookbook. And she's running a boot camp. And I'm recording this right after uh, we finished the interview. Today is December 3rd, and the deal for her uh, plant-based boot camp is... Uh, expiring tomorrow on the 4th, which is why I'm kind of rushing this. Uh, that, that and while I'm recording this, my wife is in the garage putting up um, insulation. So uh, <laughs> a little bit of a selfish motivation in doing this now rather than waiting a day. But mostly it's so you can find out if the plants boot camp is for you, because it looks like such a fabulous opportunity for anyone who really wants to jump in with both hands and both feet and learn how to cook healthy and delicious. So without any further ado, welcome, Katie. Hi, thanks, Howard, for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, so we'll, we'll get to your recipes and your philosophy and your teaching. But I'd love to start with your story. Um, so you, you, you did not grow up uh, eating a plant-based diet. Is that correct? No, not at all. So, uh, so w tell me what, what, uh, first of all, where, where you grew up, um, and then yeah, sort of what, what, what a day in, in your food life was like when you were growing up. <laughs> so I grew up in Michigan, the Midwest, and it was all processed food and lots of animal products. Um, I would have, you know, start with you know, maybe French toast or cereal, processed cereal for breakfast, lots of sugar in the morning, which just creates, you know, the sugar and cravings all day long. Um, lunch, you know, is typical cafeteria food or macaroni and cheese, um, you know, just really high fat, high sugar and salt foods. And dinner was always some sort of meat, chicken or beef, and then pasta or mashed potatoes, of course, covered in butter um, and salt and pepper. And maybe there was, a, there was actually always a side of vegetables, but it was frozen vegetables that had no flavoring other than butter. 
So it was just really bland and something we never wanted to eat. You know, there's the last thing on your plate, stay an hour after dinner was served, just being forced to eat those vegetables. Um, so it was very, very standard American diet. And with between all those meals, I was having lots of um, snacks, you know, packaged snack food. So, mm. so I you, so was you... not um, one to, you know, even think about food in a, a positive way other than just, you know, those cravings for it. It's not something I was interested in. I never thought I'd be a cook. (laughs) Mm. Well, as as I was listening to the list of your foods, you know, they sounded kind of good from a, just, you know, a hedonistic taste perspective, Mm. like, you know, the sugary cereal and like, you know, I I was imagining, you know, tater tots at lunch. And then, you know, dinner sounded good until you got to the vegetables. So you literally were like in battles with your with your folks over sitting down and finishing these these oh, uh, yeah. overcooked fr- <laughs> frozen vegetables drenched in butter? I think the only ones I liked were corn and peas, and that's because they had so much sugar in them already. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. But it got even worse once I got to high school. I was actually, um, you know, I cared about my weight. My dad was a very... Um, interested in his health, and so we were kind of following the Atkins plan, um, you know, he was, and then I just heard about it, but um, I never limited carbs all that much, but I started paying attention to the food labels and really counting my calories and watching my weight in a very unhealthy way. I would say I was subclinically anorexic because I was limiting my calories so much, but I was still having, um, you know, I would have ice cream three times a day. Uh-huh. I would check the ice cream container and see that it said, you know, a half a gallon of mint chocolate chip ice cream was 1,600 calories. And I would work my meals around um, that, you know, so I could consume that many calories from the ice cream and still not gain any weight. I was running a lot and I would limit all of the, you know, real food that I should have been eating. Um, so it was a very unhealthy, very unhealthy uh, path. Wow. And. Can I ask how, time, I was, how you ahead. how you um, became interested in in uh, weight control? Where did you have, um, you know, did you become overweight or? No, I was actually I was a little bit overweight, but I was probably only one thirty five. Um, you know, for my body size, on average, I'm about one twenty, and so one thirty five wasn't was the highest I ever was, uh, which is not that much. But I was running cross country in high school. And I remember freshman year, my dad told me, you know, if you lost 10 pounds, you'd be a whole lot faster. That was the first time I realized, you know, my weight was anything at all. Um, And it it took me three years to actually lose that weight because I wasn't very, didn't have much motivation. But senior year in high school, I went on a slim fast diet. And that's when I lost the weight. I got down to like 115. um, And it was, it was just really about my, you know, self-image. It wasn't about health at all. I was studying to be a doctor. You know, I was um, interested in science and everything and going to pre-med in college, um, but I didn't make the connection between food and my health. So it was, it was not a healthy image. <laughs> mm. I'm curious during that time when you, between 135 and 115, um, about how much of your day, of your waking day, was spent sort of thinking about food in one way or another? You know, the first three years of high school, it wasn't, I would have food cravings and I would go towards, you know, all the junk foods, but it wasn't, it wasn't filling my mind all the time. 
But by senior year in high school, I mean, that's what I thought about 24 um, seven. I realize now that I'm a food addict. And I actually said this in high school, that senior year, that I should be an ice cream anonymous hmm. because I was having ice cream so much and it wasn't something that felt in my power. I felt like uncontrollably drawn towards it. Whenever it was in the house, I would just eat it until it was gone. Um, and so not only, it wasn't just cravings like most people have, it was actually um, empower, it was taking over my day. You know, my whole day was surrounded around when I was going to get that food, how I was going to get it. I would actually be interested in leaving social, social situations where I was having a good time just so I could go get my, you know, sugar fix. Mm. So, so fast, fast forwarding to now, it's, you're in a fairly unlikely career, given that you had sort of a, 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 a manic, dangerous obsession with, with food. Mm-hmm. But it's actually been the biggest blessing of my life. I, I feel that um, I've found this. Otherwise, I would still be in that path, and I guarantee I would have gained 50 pounds by now uh, just from the addiction. But the... I've been, um, you know, I've come across True North, which does no sugar, oil, and salt, which we'll probably get to, but that's kind of an extreme diet for most people, and most people wouldn't even be open to it, even the plant-based eaters, uh, but I feel like it's the only choice for me, knowing that I'm so addictive to these, you know, the poles of the food. Mm-hmm. When, when you were going through um, all this, the, the worst of it, the, when you would... Uh you know, compromise social situations and be thinking about it 24-7, did you feel like you were alone or did you feel like there were other people, friends or family who were also doing this? This just felt like this was your craziness and nobody else had any piece of it? Yes, I felt completely alone. I felt like an alcoholic, but with food. And that's why I was, I was like wishful that there was a, you know, an AA group for food addicts, which there is, but I wasn't very tech-savvy at the time. I never thought to, you know, do a Google search for that. Um, And my family kind of disregarded it, aside from a sister realizing that I was, um, you know, borderline anorexic. Um, My my parents and other siblings didn't recognize it. And if they did, they were in denial about it, unfortunately. So I, I thought I was just making this up in my head partly, and I kind of let it go through college, where I drank a lot and had a lot of coffee and stimulation. Um, and then it, when, when I started my master's program in nutrition, I started cleaning out my diet. And I went to a vegetarian diet just to force myself to eat vegetables, to learn how to cook beans and lentils. Um, and that's when I started noticing that food addiction again. So I'm, I'm, I'm already having a trouble making this jump from this, this story to, and then you sort of, sort of blithely say, and then I went to get my nutrition degree. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah, seems like the, the last thing in the world that you would mm-hmm. want to, to approach having had such an adversarial and emotionally difficult relationship with food. What was your thinking mm-hmm. in saying, okay, now I'm going to study nutrition. It was actually, I can pinpoint the exact moment that I decided that. Um, I was at Michigan State University in a pre-med program. You know, I was going to be, I was thinking, you know, a neurosurgeon for pediatrics, um, something like that. But I I was interested in serving people and helping people be healthier. But I had just started working. This is my first experience with food, um, well, the food industry. I was working at a local grocer 
like a local co-op, a kind of whole foods market, just locally. And I was in the kitchen preparing food. And I cut open a bell pepper, a red organic bell pepper, and the aroma was so strong that I had to take a bite. And I took a bite, and it just tasted so good. I was so overwhelmed and impressed that vegetables could actually taste good. (laughs) And I was interested in childhood obesity at the time. You know, I was thinking about pediatrics as a specialty. So when I made that, you know, I realized that vegetables had this power and they actually tasted good. Somehow it just clicked in my head that the food was the cure for disease. It was the prevention. It was the treatment. It was the cause. And I was like, why would I be a doctor when I could actually uh, work with the food specifically and just study the nutrition and help people with the food? Wow. And that, that all came to you from a, an organic red pe- bell pepper. Yes. <laughs> was this like your first like, sort of I- intimate relationship with a piece of fresh produce? Absolutely. The very first time. <laughs> That's really remarkable. <laughs> the, um, it was, I was actually, had already decided that I didn't want to prescribe drugs to people. Um, you know, I didn't want to be in conventional medicine. So I was actually study, applying to go to Bastyr University, which is a naturopathic school. I was going to be a naturopathic doctor. And all I had to do was switch my application to the nutrition track. Um, so it was an easy switch. But yeah, if it wasn't for that bell pepper, <laughs> who knows where I would be now. Wow. Well, it sounds like the entire sort of plant kingdom was like trying to figure out how to trip you up and get, get your attention. Yeah. This, yeah. this pepper was the lucky one. Yeah. So, so the, um, yeah, go ahead. The school I was going to actually had a vegetarian kitchen at the time. So that's what kind of motivated me to become vegetarian. I thought it would just be an experiment for a year. I had no idea that I would, you know, stick with it for a lifetime. Ah, so what what did you discover when you switched to a vegetarian diet that that made you like it? The flavors were just so incredible. There's so much more flavor. You know, it wasn't just uh, the meat and starches that were covered in sauces, sugar and salts. But it was actually, all the plants had different flavors. It just, I couldn't believe it. And I had grown up in Michigan, and then my school was in Washington. So I was along the West Coast where there's a lot more produce available. And so every day almost I was trying a new vegetable or a new fruit, a new bean. And I just couldn't believe it. It was nonstop new foods for me for a full year. (laughs) And and so you saw the difference between um, badly cooked frozen vegetables and an actual... Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I immediately lost, you know, I was running seven days a week up until that point, maybe five to seven days a week. And it was a struggle for me to maintain my weight. Um, but when I, and this was gradual, it, it went, um, it got easier when I did a vegetarian diet, but then when I went completely vegan, it got even easier. But it, the weight loss was no effort at that time. It was just, it was easy to maintain a healthy weight without exercising at all because the foods were so low in calories. So that was really nice. And I didn't feel that heaviness from the food after eating. Um, So I felt lighter. I had more energy. Um, You know, I didn't have any uh, disease states. You know, I wasn't 
dealing with diabetes. Actually, I was pre-diabetic probably, but I never got tested for it. Um, but, it, you know, it was just all about how I felt in my body, and I felt so much better eating the plant foods. And what, what about in your mind? Did it, what, how, did, how did the shift from, I think about this all the time, um, I'm obsessed, I can't, you know, have to leave social situations to get a sugar fix. How did that shift? Was it instantaneous or over time? Or did you notice at the time that it was shifting? You know, when I first went vegetarian, I just was giving up the meat. Um, I didn't give up cheese the, that first year. I thought that was way too hard. I could never be a vegan, crazy vegan. <laughs> but um, that first year, I actually noticed I was gluten intolerant too. So that following year, um, this is more when I got into plant-based, I actually went raw vegan for four months. And uh, I noticed a huge difference. At that point, I was you know, totally aware of the environmental and um, animal welfare aspects of a plant-based diet. And so it felt a lot lighter, not just in my body, but in my mind. And, you know, I felt like I had less of, uh, you know, I had a more positive impact on the world at large. And that felt really great. You know, I'm Christian. I was raised Christian. And so one of the Ten Commandments is, you know, thou shall not kill. And I'm not, um, you know, I'm not very strong in my religious practice right now, but I'm very spiritual, more spiritual than I've ever been. And that always comes back to me is that, that commandment is thou shall not kill. It's not thou shall not kill humans. It's just we don't kill. We should not kill anything. And so I feel really, um, you know, powerful as a human being that does not hurt any other being. So it's definitely more positive on my mental, you know, state mm-hmm. of mind. Hey, so, yeah, it, se- it seems like that's like a pretty, pretty big one. <laughs> If, you're, if, yeah. if you were going to pick and choose, that, that might be one that you'd keep. It seemed, it seemed, yeah. it seemed like they were serious when I wrote that one down. Yeah. So um, you went vegetarian, cheese and all, for a year. How did you stumble upon raw food? No, it was actually a movie called Reversing Diabetes in 30 Days. by, um, And I met the, one of the men that actually financed the movie, but it was, um, I'm blanking on his name. Um, oh, he's down in Arizona. Um, a raw food doctor, Gabriel Cousins, uh-huh. um, made this movie. And so when I saw that, I just knew that, um, you know, the raw food was the answer. You know, you could reverse diabetes, then you could, you know, be healthier overall. I didn't know any science around the other disease states yet, but um, I knew that was definitely the way I wanted to go. And so I started, I was working at Whole Foods Market as a caterer for three years. And when I saw that movie, I talked to my supervisors at Whole Foods Market and we started a raw food bar at the location in um, Bellevue, Washington. And that was a great success. But I wanted to go even deeper. So I actually left Whole Foods so I could work at a raw food restaurant. And that helped me a lot having the community and all of that food right in front of me to do raw food 100%. So in January of 2009, I went completely raw for four months. And it felt great. felt, you know, I was even lighter and more energy. My skin was more vibrant. Um, It was great. But then I actually came across Dr. McDougall. Um, in like April, and that was just via YouTube videos. But that's what really got me onto 
um, cooked starches and a plant-based diet the way we know it today, a whole food plant-based diet. So you, you went raw in January in Seattle. So this, yeah. this, this kind of messes with a, an assumption of mine, which is that people can sustain raw food in warm, sunny climates, but they can't mm-hmm. really do it. Like Seattle, I guess, is not particularly freezing, but it's not very sunny. And it's probably, right. probably pretty cold in January. Did you, did you not find that? Did, well, what was, what was your experience about, you know, a raw winter, early spring mm-hmm. in, in rainy Seattle? Well, if I would have started raw in the you know in August and then tried to do it in January, I think I would have noticed the difference that there wasn't the same amount of produce available. But I was just getting started in January, and uh, there were greens, you know, there were still apples and oranges, all of those around. It wasn't like eating, um, you know, trying to eat vegetarian while you were in Michigan because we definitely had more produce around. But it was I was also working at a raw food restaurant. So, you know, when I wanted to treat myself and go out to dinner, I still could. I wasn't limited in that factor. Um, And I also was dating someone who was doing it with me, uh, which was a huge, huge deal because I I definitely would not have done it otherwise. It would have been too difficult. Mm. Who who dragged whom? um, It was actually uh, mutual. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it was very mutual. So, um. But the food, I, you know, I was having almond butter and apples and cabbage every morning for breakfast, uh-huh. which I taste, which, it was great to me at the time, but it got old. You know, I was having, my dressings were like nut butters and soy sauce mixed with water um, time and time again. And it eventually, you know, it's just, it's not very exciting. Um, and I was not liking all the fat. You know, you can make a lot of things with nuts and seeds and the oil, but I wasn't doing it in the 80-10-10 diet the way, um, like Doug Graham recommends. You know, it wasn't mostly starches and sugars. It was mostly the fats, the way uh, Gabriel Cousins recommends a, a raw food diet. So when I switched to the cooked starches and lowered the fat, I felt so much better. My, you know, my digestive system flowed a lot better. My skin got even clearer. I had more energy. So that's that's really interesting because when uh, when I think about sort of different camps in the plant based or vegan world, there's always a tendency to kind of want to out extreme each other. And I always thought of raw as like more the most extreme, <laughs> right? These these are the you know, and, and there's almost like a feeling, the, the, especially the way the raw food movement portrays um, why we should eat raw. It's a lot about purity. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, it seems like, you know, you, you having come from this, this background where food had been a real battle, I can see the attraction of a, a hyper pure, um, you know, uh, ideology around food. And yet you moved to yeah. something that worked better for you. Did it feel like you were, be- you were like, becoming more stringent and pure when you switched from raw to McDougal's version, or did it feel like you were, you know, you were giving yourself a break? It, it did feel like I was giving myself a break a little bit because it was easier to eat cooked food and it was, you know, warm and comforting, but I, I felt like I was becoming more balanced. I felt like I was too strict and too extreme that, you, yes, the raw food is great. It has more um, 
enzymes and more nutrients in some foods, but it's not all of the foods that are more nutrient-dense when they're uh, raw. Some are actually better for us when they're cooked. So in a way, I just felt more balanced, and there was a lot more science around it. You know, the, the people promoting a raw diet, there's not a lot of evidence to back it up that it, it's healthiest for us in the long term. Yes, people feel great and it's a great detox, but over you know many, many years, I didn't see that many people thriving on it. Um, and I saw the complete opposite when you looked at the plant-based world, um, you know, Whole Food, McDougal style or True North style, which I came across at, shortly after McDougal. Uh, it just seemed more balanced and healthier, you know, for us physically and mentally. Mm. I wonder if that that had an influence on your sort of success with the what we'll call the SOS free whole foods whole food plant based diet. That you approached it as as something that was easier and more Katie friendly, as opposed <laughs> to a lot of people come at it almost like self-flagellation, like I'm a bad person, I can't control what I eat, therefore I'm going to eat this way. And, and deep down it feels like punishment. Mm. You know, I, I feel like I can't control what I eat when I'm having the sugar, refined sugars and oil and salt. And so I, in a way I resonate with what you, know, you are saying some of those people say, but at the same time I, I do think of this way of eating without the sh- sugar, oil, and salt as a freeing diet um, or way of eating. It's it's given me so much more freedom to live the life I want to live. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not controlled by that addictive nature of those foods. And so not only am I more free mentally, but I'm also more free physically. You know, my health is so much better. And I can make really good food that tastes really great without being controlled by it, without having to go back for seconds and thirds and, you know, being having that full overstuffed feeling all the time. You know, I would I would eat until I was in pain. And then once you're in pain, it's just like, why not keep eating? Yeah. <laughs> you're already there. <laughs> so it just feels so much better. I feel, I do think of it as a an empowering way of eating. It's not a it's not a restriction for me. It's like I am so blessed that I know about this information and this way of living that, you know, I can do it. Most people don't even know about it. Right. Well, so certainly when, when I look at your websites, and you know, one of them is plantbasedkatie.com, and then there's the plants with a Z or a Z boot camp, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to. I don't get any sense that you're coming from a place of strictness or deprivation or, mm-hmm. or, or or any sort of self-discipline. Like, this stuff just looks frigging awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, and I, and I That's think, what I'm going for. Well, I think, and I think you, you really have, you, know, you have an aesthetic. I mean, the websites are, are gorgeous. You obviously either have a great design mm-hmm. sense or you know how to hire designers or what, <laughs> what, whatever it is. But, it, it come, you know, that's sort of a tip of the iceberg of what I sense is, like, you've turned into a foodie, <laughs> Yeah, like through through a really strange <laughs> circuitous path from you know subclinical anorexic from or from you know standard American slop to subclinical anorexic to raw to um, you know McDougal and mm-hmm. and through all that you've like um, it seems like you've you've come into contact with a part of you 
that just derives tremendous pleasure from food. Mm, I do so much, so much. It's, it's actually still, it's still effort for me to find the balance because I like it so much that I can be creating these whole food, plant-based meals all the time. And I don't really want to overeat and I don't go back for seconds, but it's my work. So I'm still thinking about food a lot, but it's in a much healthier way. Mm. But I just do love it so much. There's so much you can do with all of the different vegetables and fruits and all the nuts and seeds and everything. It's just, it's endless, the amount of variety we have. Um, It's really exciting, too, to think about these foods in new ways. You know, we used to just use beans when we were having burritos or tacos, and now we can actually blend up beans and use them as a a creamy alternative to nuts and um, non-dairy milks and things like that. So it's it's like uh, we're on the verge of a whole new culinary world. Yeah. You know, the last five or six years, the the quality of cookbooks – that has come out, you know, I used to have like two cookbooks and everything, you know, everything I did was like from, you know, one of the Moosewoods, uh, <laughs> or there was a cookbook, uh, cooking on the right side of your brain. Uh, <laughs> and like everything was coming from those two. And now mm-hmm. I have, you know, probably close to 75 plant-based slash vegan cookbooks. Wow. And, and I don't keep the ones that I don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so There's yeah, no so you're, you're part of a, of a real, you know, a, a renaissance of food. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I'm, I'm curious, um, you talk about how much pleasure you get out of food these days. And I'm, I'm thinking back to the beginning of, of our chat. How would you compare? And I'm, I guess I'm asking you this question to speak to the people who, who can't comprehend of, of a pleasurable diet, not including meat, cheese, fried foods, um, you know, sugars, breads, pastries. How how do you compare the pleasure you get out of food now with the pleasure that you got out of food as a kid when it was, you know, the the stuff you really liked, the fried foods or the mm-hmm. the the candy or or ice cream or stuff like that? What's the difference in in that experience of pleasure? You know, it's honestly, it's um, it wasn't just when I was little. You know, just recently it. It happens too. Um, I'm not perfect, and I don't expect anyone else to be. But if I get trapped in having something really uh, concentrated in all those, it's they're like chemicals: the sugar, oil, and salt. It's a it's a very quick, immediate, and non-lasting satisfaction. It's it's immediate pleasure, but it's like that's what it is. Is I think pleasure. It's not you're not happy with it. It's just. It feels good in the moment, and as soon as it's gone, you have that crash, and you want more of it. You know, just like um, the the saying, one bite is, wait, a thousand bites is never enough, and one bite is too much. Mm-hmm. Something, I might have messed that up, but that's how it is. You could eat, you know, a whole bowl of ice cream, you know, the really rich dairy-filled ice cream, and it tastes delicious on your tongue, but as soon as it's gone, you want more regardless of how full you are. And it's, it's only pleasurable when you're having it. Where I think with the, the whole foods, whether I'm having sugar from fruit or, you know, um, a big starchy pasta salad with a hearty marinara sauce on top, that lasts longer. 
I'm enjoying it all the way through. I'm actually enjoying it ahead of time when I'm preparing the food, even when I'm grocery shopping for the food, picking out these the fresh produce. It's it's exciting because it looks so good, it smells good, it's beautiful. And then it, it keeps your energy going all throughout the day and you don't have a crash afterwards. Um, so it's just, it's a much more stable happiness. And it's giving you all the nutrients you need and, you know, releasing all the, the good serotonin and dopamine that you are, um, your body wants, makes you feel good at a very steady pace throughout the day. So it's not these highs and lows. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. So let's, let's, let's talk about food. <laughs> so I think your first book was The Mexican Plants. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So why, why did you choose Mexican as a cuisine to show off the, the, the flexibility and, and possibilities of a whole food plant-based diet? You know, I, I initially chose it because it was so easy to do. I was having you know, sweet potato tacos three, at least three nights a week. Sometimes it was you know, every day. It was such an easy dish that I just, it was, there was no other option, um, it felt like, because you can have the starch, whether it's rice and potatoes. You have all the different sorts of beans to add, corn tortillas. You can add the salsa and avocado. Any green vegetables, you know, spinach or collards, romaine lettuce, and it, it was such an easy easy dish that I thought everyone should know about it. And then you can, um, I thought about how I could repackage those tacos into other things, into quesadillas and into salads and things like that. Um, but I didn't even realize that after I made it, I heard a lot of responses from people that were not eating plant-based that were like, how do you have a Mexican diet that's vegan? That seems like the hardest cuisine to make vegan. Because they think of it with a lot of meat and a lot of cheese, but I didn't even think about that. You know, I think about all the vegetables and the starches you have. Mm. Yeah, and I could sort of have seen like Mexican, no, no, knowing that almost everyone's um, traditional pre-Western cuisine would have contained very few animal products for, for the most part, certainly, certainly in temperate or tropical climates. Um, what what really confused me was your second one, which is Italian. So, I you know I I grow I grew up loving Italian food, and I just know whenever you know someone takes takes me out or invites me to a meal at an Italian restaurant, that I am going to suffer because I'm not going to get everything is cooked in in butter, everything is coated with Parmesan cheese, everything is white pasta flour. How in the world could you make Italian? Um, you know, compliant with a healthy diet. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I was drawn to the Italian too, is because I wanted, you know, I wanted things like pasta, um, fettuccine Alfredo and pizza crust. And I w really wanted a calzone recipe. Um, but I find that I work much better under pressure. So once I committed to um, making the Italian cookbook, then I had to come up with these recipes. Uh, and it was a lot of recipe testing, um, especially with like the calzone that took a lot of work. But the, that's what it is. We need these alternatives to the foods that we're used to. And I don't, even if it's um, a vegan restaurant or vegan dishes, you know, you can get a lot of vegan dishes at Thai places, Mexican, um, Ethiopian even, but they're not low or no sugar, oil, and salt. They're very highly processed still and very stimulating. Um, so you get these crashes and feel very heavy afterwards because of 
how, you know, full it is of those chemicals. So I wanted to give people the opportunity to stay at home and have a really, really delicious, authentic cuisine that was sugar, oil, and salt-free. And that was the motivation behind the, the Italian book. And when you use all of the herbs and seasonings that are, you know, kind of core to the cuisine, then it's easy to do. I'm just I'm looking at the at your uh, the website at the pictures of the uh, I'm not sure I guess these are oh the, the desserts look amazing mm, there's a cheesecake there there's a cheesecake yeah, I, I made that cheesecake for um, Thanksgiving and everyone loved it lemon cashew yeah. cheesecake yes wow. cashews and tofu are the base but people would have no idea that it was you know it was Vegan. <laughs> do you take your own photos? Yes. Yes. How do you get, um, how'd you get good at that? Those are really nice photos, and I know. Thank you. I, I look at a lot. You know, I, I've seen a lot of pictures of good food where the the pictures themselves were not really appealing. How how did you get mm-hmm. good at the photography? It was just a lot of practice, um, <laughs> and you know, I take a ton of pictures, and then I just only have a few that are decent. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Kathy Fisher, I actually used to live with Kathy Fisher of straightupfood.com, uh-huh. and her pictures are gorgeous. So she was definitely an inspiration. And, but I would love to take a class or something like that in the future. And honestly, it's, it's something that keeps me from posting recipes sooner. So it might be worth um, it, to hire someone else to take the pictures just because it's time-consuming. Uh-huh. Right, yeah, when I, that's been my experience when I wanted to plate things for for public viewing. Is you know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would do like two hundred pictures. First of all, I have a really nice camera that's far better than I deserve as, as a photographer. So that's you know, <laughs> it's you know, it's it saves me every so often. And then yeah, that's how I feel. I don't exactly know what the, what all the dials and buttons do. So, but you yeah. know, if I take three hundred pictures with enough different settings, like two of them will be all right. <laughs> Exactly. So, so you just yeah. came out with another one, right? It was a, a, a free cookbook? That, uh... Yes, I had a dessert cookbook with, with over 60 recipes. So the other cookbooks are actually about 26 recipes or so, because um, eventually I want to have a, a published global cookbook. So I, I just make these little cookbooks to all come together in the end. But um, I decided to make a dessert cookbook for the holidays to help people get through the holidays without going back to, you know, the foods that are familiar, you know, the traditional chocolate chip cookies or sugar cookies and pumpkin cheesecake and everything. Um, So I made this dessert cookbook and I got people involved, people in the plant-based community and other plant-based chefs so that I didn't have to make all the desserts myself Uh Um, because, you know, I don't want to eat that much of the uh, concentrated foods like that. And it would just take so much time. And it was really fun to get everyone else involved. And people really liked being able to uh, contribute recipes. So it got much bar- much larger than I thought it was going to. So there's, yeah, 60 recipes, which is <laughs> a lot of sweets. Wow. And you, and you got Chef AJ to reveal her granola. Oh, yes. Yeah, which actually started with Miyoko Shinner. Um, but it was so good. Miyoko had a little more fat, nuts, and seeds in her, so Chef AJ cut that out. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's not easy to make an oil-free granola. 
No, it, ta- it takes it takes an awful lot of uh, dates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's that's a delicious granola. I've had it a couple times. Yeah, that's my problem with with dessert cookbooks is whatever I make first, I just keep making. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I get I get nervous that nothing else is going to be as good. <laughs> It's just, yeah. Like this happened They're to all me. Good, though. This happened to me. I was uh, I was going through um, Chef uh, Dell's uh, Better Than Vegan cookbook, and I opened mm-hmm. randomly to like you know chocolate pumpkin loaf. And actually, no, actually, I think, no, I think it was in the Forks Over Knives cookbook that he did. And there's like a dozen great recipes in there, but I just keep making that one. And now it's now it's like <laughs> I'm good at it. I just don't want to, you know, yeah. don't want to risk That's it. That's good though. That's what I actually, I really encourage people to do is make one recipe or a few recipes over and over again so it becomes so habit that you don't need the recipe. You know, you can make it off the top of your head and then you add in a new recipe and, you know, kind of work it that way. But it needs to become familiar that we don't have to get out the recipes all the time. We want it to be easy. That's, you know, I never thought of that. That's so, it's so obvious now. It's that, that that's true that you want to get good at a couple of things, right? Because I've, I've always approached it like I'm good at reading recipes and I'm decent at chopping and I have, you know, most of all of my fingers and like I can, I can cook pretty much anything. But there's, you're right, there's just like a few things that I can just whip up like without having to think about it, without the friction of mm-hmm. what am I going to do? Do I have all the ingredients? Right. What's, your, what's a couple of your staples throughout the week? Um, well, so there's, there's a few that, um, we actually make the, um, the spice mixture in bulk. So it just sits there in a jar. Like, um, um, we have a a mulligatawny soup that we do and I just Mm -hmm. make, put baggies of spices. So we've got like a a mason jar with like 16 little Ziploc bags and I just can, you know, dump that in and I can remember the rest, you know, it's like water and lentils. Yeah, that makes it easy too, having the spices prepared. Yeah, what else do I do? Well, since uh, since I discovered potato waffles, which I see you've also (laughs) discovered, that's potato waffles with with green, with with like, you know, salad greens and salsa. Yeah, so easy. So easy. But so that's what um, my boot camp is actually about, is teaching people how to make this um, so easy to do and familiar that it's sustainable because that's what needs to happen. It needs to be, um, you know, easy. It needs to be flavorful and it needs to be healthy, which, you know, that's a little bit different for everyone. In general, a plant-based diet is healthy overall, but, you know, we need to make some adjustments as far as how many calories and whether we're having nuts or, you know, little things like that. But, um, I want people to be able to sustain the plant-based diet. It's all the science is out there with all the doctors and all the clinical evidence um, that a plant-based diet is best, but it's really about how do we make that applicable to people? You know, how do we teach it in the, in the kitchen? Mm, well, I, I love that, that thought. You know, when I think about a boot camp, I think about you know, doing something repetitively until I can do it in my sleep. You know, I imagine sort of you know, those, the, the war movies where they're like taking apart their rifles, cleaning them and putting them back together blindfolded. But when I think about the way most people teach cooking or healthy eating or plant-based eating, it's like we, we want to dazzle people with the huge range of possibilities as opposed to what might really mm-hmm. serve them, which is what you just said is give people a few things and make them practice it so that they, they gain 
um, you know, actual skill and confidence and automaticity. Right, exactly. So tell, tell us about the, the boot camp. It starts soon, right? Yeah, it starts January 12th. So I have um, actually the, depending on when this interview goes out. Um, I'll, 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 do, I'll do a rush job. I'll, I'll, get it out, uh, I'll get it out today if I can. Well, okay. So the, regi- the, um, um, the registration ends, the early registration ends Thursday night. That's December 4th at 9 p.m. Um, and with that early registration, it's $100 off. So it's $399 versus $499. Um, and there's a holiday bonus, which includes a two-week holiday menu plan and a holiday menu for Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year's Eve, along with a grocery list for each menu. So um, I wanted to get that out to people to support them through the holidays um, because the training doesn't start until January, and it's going to allow you to you know, stay healthier through the holidays and also prevent um, some of that weight gain that happens, just inevitably happens with the the holidays around. So that is going on right now. But the training is actually, it's an online training. So you can do it right from your own home. You don't have to go anywhere and you have access to it for 90 days. So I make it a 28-day training so that people are motivated to go um, through it, the whole thing, you know, at a, a decent pace and you get the community aspect. But if people can't stick with it for um, you know, go at our pace for 28 days, then they have access to it for longer. Um, and that's also really great because people can always go back to the information to get more out of it again and again. Mm. So but, how much time would someone expect to spend doing the boot camp? It depends on how much time you want to put into it. It could be um, two hours a week or it could be 10 hours a week. There's an there's online video training where I actually walk you through a lot of content um, as far as how to do the different cooking methods, and we talk about the different foods and different herbs and spices, substitutions, all these details. And then once the video is done, it's gonna, it's, each week is about an hour-long video. Then there is, um, there's actually kitchen workouts for people to do. And so these aren't recipes, but they're more like, like you said, you practice things blindfolded. They're kind of like you know techniques and methods that you want to practice again and again. So there's a kitchen workout, and then there's recipe demonstrations with each week. There's four videos of me doing a, uh, full recipes, showing you how to make the recipes. Um, there's also how-to videos with each week about like how to do little things, like how to steam your vegetables in layers so that you don't have to use a different pot for each thing you're steaming, and it saves on time and dishes. <laughs> I am um, so good at doing that wrong. <laughs> it's like it's People like so it's, to that. me it's like neuroscience it's like oh the cauliflower is mushy and the and the carrot sticks are hard <laughs> exactly so yeah we we cover all the cooking times for the different vegetables you know whether it's they're being steamed or were sauteed um then there's like a there's a facebook group so there's lots of community but there's also a live coaching call each week. I'm going to get on the phone with people, and um, as a group, we talk about things, and people can get in the hot seats if they want specific coaching through, uh, you know, an issue they're having. Um, and then there's guest interviews. We have some guest trainers. There are six different people, Chef AJ, Kathy Fisher, Ramses Bravo, um, one of our experts, 
um, patients at True North Health Center who's lost over 100 pounds, I think, three different times. Um, and then another um, kind of healthy eating psychologist who is amazing with when it comes to food addiction. Um, and then the last one is Jill Nusenow, who is a, uh, a queen, the queen at pressure cooking. So using a pressure cooker is really helpful for people to, um, you know, cook meals up really fast, especially when it comes to things like beans and soups. Yep, I, I I have to admit this is this is part of my whatever my kitchen learning disability is is I have a, her um, pressure cooker book dog-eared mm-hmm. to all the charts because I I don't I can't tell you how many times I've cooked black beans in the pressure cooker in the past two months and I cannot remember the time how many minutes. Yeah, but the things like that you shouldn't have to remember either. You know, especially when it's in a chart form, you can just go back to it. Yeah, so it's perfect. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm looking at the uh, the game plan, and the first week is called prep the the kitchen. So you're actually going to teach not just plant based, but just basic cooking, right? Kitchen safety, proper knife knife handling, and this is like it looks yeah. like it's a a course, a culinary basics. That's- exactly. I want this to be something that you know, like a prime foundation foundational resource for people that want to learn how to cook plant-based because it's not just people that are have been cooking and they want to switch to a plant-based diet. A lot of people grew up on processed food where there was no cooking, you know, it's opening a package or a can and just pouring it in the in the pan. So we definitely start with all the basics from the knife skills. We have uh, Chef Ramses Bravo gives a whole video on uh, proper knife handling um, and we go into some kitchen safety and the different equipment that you should have, um, some of the things that are, you know, essential, and then some of the things that are just nice kind of toys to have, make things easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, so um, have you done a boot camp like this before? I just did one in September or October. Uh-huh. It was the very first one. We had 40 people, and it was great lots of great feedback. It was kind of like a beta version. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my first time and it was my first time doing any online training at all. Um, and especially when it comes to cooking, that's not the simplest thing to teach people <laughs> online. Um, so this one's going to be the second version and it's, I'm already you know, super excited about it because I'm adding a lot more content and the quality is going to be better. It's going to be, have a better uh, format structure. So it's really easy mm-hmm. for people to go through and you can access it on your phone or on an iPad, um, so it's easy to follow along. Wow! Yeah, I just wanted to double check because you know, as a marketer, whichever one it is, is that that's the better one. Like this is the very first time I'm ever doing it. You know, get in; it's <laughs> going to be all fresh. And then the second time is like, well, I, I made all my mistakes and I've cleaned things up, and it's yeah, it's much yeah. more user friendly. So. <laughs> Exactly. This is not the beta version anymore. <laughs> sure. How do you, how do you do the uh, videography? You know, I am actually um, going to have someone do the video editing for me, but I'm going to record most of them myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I've done a couple in my home, um, but it's not the best setup. So I actually have you know I got like a kitchen island um, to do my videos or my recipes on because. In my kitchen, there's a big, there's a counter all around the kitchen, and so you can't, you can't see the actual countertop that I, I would be cutting on um, if you if I didn't have a separate table. 
Um, so I'm going to do the recipe demonstrations that way, and then I'll have someone edit it and put it all together so it looks nice. <laughs> gotcha. So um, I'm curious about the the folks, the 40 folks who took your first one. Like, who who were they? Why did they want to take it? Um, and, you know, what did they get out of it? There was actually a, a wide range of people in it. So some people had um, been doing plant-based and actually doing SOS free for a while. Um, and they, and I was a little bit nervous in the beginning because, you know, people that are already doing an SOS free plant-based diet, they've been doing it for three years or more, you know, they have a lot under their belt. Um, but I still got feedback that they learned a lot from taking this course. So I was really happy about that. You know, sometimes I, I guess I take for granted the things I know, um, thinking everyone knows them. Um, but it was nice that I was able to help them. And then there were people that were brand new to a plant-based diet, you know, and they're, they felt lost before, and now they feel like they're able to do a lot more in the kitchen, and they feel more confident in experimenting with new things. You know, that's something I'm really big on is you don't need to follow a recipe um, exactly as it says. You can make substitutions. You can add more of a certain spice if you like that or leave certain ingredients out. And so I feel like people have a lot more flexibility and strength when it comes to cooking plant-based in their own home, gotcha. uh, which, is, which is awesome. And people that are actually the ones that signed up for the beta version as a uh, kind of a prize, a gift to them for signing up so early, is that they get lifetime access. And so the people that were in that first training are already excited about um, doing it again in January. They want to go back to the information and um, get more out of it. Okay, that's that's nice. That they're not they're not hearing you getting your emails about boy, it's so much better this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I I, I want to ask about um, your. You chose to make it gluten-free, which I guess you did partially because you don't have gluten? Yes, I'm gluten-free. Uh-huh. So what's, uh, so I guess, I guess that opens it up to a, a larger group of people who, um, you know, when I think of gluten-free, mostly I think of people who are doing paleo. You know, if, if, they, if, oh, they, if they don't have a specific, uh, you know, celiac or, or particular health mm -hmm. issue around gluten. Um, do you see this as reaching out to people who might otherwise say, well, the, only, the best way to eat is paleo? You know, I actually, I love the things that paleo does. Um, a lot of the things they do in limiting or e uh, eliminating the processed food, the dairy products. And for a lot of people, I think it's great that they eliminate the grains. Um, I don't recommend eliminating all grains, but, um, I think that's a better alternative than having the gluten for a lot of people that are sensitive to it. And if, even if people aren't sensitive to it, I highly recommend people learn to cook without the gluten because what the reason we're so, um, it's become such an issue nowadays, it's kind of, you know, there's multiple factors, but one of them is that the wheat, even whole wheat, is highly, highly um, it's been refined, the actual plant itself. So even if it's the, the food is not um, refined and everything's taken out of it, it's still a lot less um, diverse than it used to be. You know, I, I forget the exact number. Dr. Goldhammer told me once, you know, I think it went from like 70 different genes to, you know, 17 different genes or something 
um, crazy like that. It's just not the same plant that it used to be. Um, and so our body handles it differently. But another thing that is really um, crucial is that we are consuming all of this wheat and we don't have a healthy digestive system um, that keeps it, keeps the proteins from coming into our bloodstream in a form that we don't want. So what happens is we have an unhealthy digestive system and you can uh, call it leaky gut, which means that the well, the cells in our digestive cell, our digestive tract wall are not tightly packed together. There's holes in between the cells. And when there's holes in between, larger proteins can get through that are not supposed to get through to our bloodstream. And when that happens, there's these foreign particles, these larger proteins that our body thinks of as um, kind of a foreign object that should be attacked. And so we start creating antibodies against these. And that's what happens with gluten. When you have that in the wheat um, and some other grains that have gluten in it, it gets into our bloodstream and then we start attacking this like it's a foreign object. And because a lot of people don't have a healthy digestive system, it's only a matter of time before they develop an allergy to the gluten, which is what happens when you have those antibodies attacking it, that that's the allergy to the gluten. And so what I, I want to do is try and help people avoid becoming sensitive to gluten if they're not already. And to do that, I think we need to limit the amount we're having and um, create overall healthier digestive system, which happens with a plant-based diet and when you're avoiding the sugar, that makes a big difference, too. Mm. Um, so, so it's so, not so, necessarily that everyone needs to avoid it, but I think everyone would benefit from limiting it. At least at least knowing that there's other options. Yes. Yeah. And the other options taste good. <laughs> right. So I, I, I don't want to spoil things, because so you know, obviously people need uh, to sign up, but I'm really curious about week 1.5. Make a green salad preparation that will last three to four days. Mm. Yeah, Can you give us some hints? Because yeah. this is just me being <laughs> selfish <laughs> and wanting to know, because I feel like I make green salads, and like by the next evening, they look more like compost than food. Mm. Of course. The a couple of things is I don't actually put the entire salad together. You can if you want to, but uh, what I like to do is keep things separate. Um, you know, I, I cut up my carrots and celery so that they're in um, long sticks, kind of, and I keep those in water. You want the celery and carrots covered in water. Mm-hmm. They'll last forever. Um, if you want to change the water every few days. You could actually go like a full seven days without changing the water. But that's how I buy a huge bag of carrots, and then it lasts forever because it's in the water. Um, So then you don't have to process it from scratch every single time you want a salad. When it comes to the other vegetables like bell peppers and, um, you know, radishes and beets and things like that, I prepare them, you know, as soon as I get home from the grocery store. I take all of my vegetables and produce out and process it all in the way that I'm going to be consuming it. And sometimes it's not all in the same way. You know, I'll have beets that I'll leave whole because I'm going to use them in, you know, a dinner later on in the week, but then I'll have other ones that I actually um, steam right then, and then I, once they're steamed, I just chop them up and store them in the fridge so that I can put them onto my salad whenever I want. Um, when it comes to the greens, though, the, the best way to keep the greens fresh 
is to wash them and rinse them, but then dry them so that they're not, there's not a lot of moisture there. Um, you want it to be a dry container, but then keep them in the container with a moist cloth, like a damp paper towel. Um, so I have actually, if you've ever worked in a kitchen, have you ever worked in a kitchen? Um, not that I would admit to. <laughs> I don't want to get the kitchen in trouble. <laughs> okay, so the you have these, these large containers. They're called Cambros, um, and they're like big plastic containers. You could do this with any container, but I like the the Cambros that I actually get from uh, restaurant supply stores because they're larger than... How do you, how do you spell container. that? Cambro? Cambro is C-A-M-B-R-O. Oh. Cambro? Never heard of it. I've, I've seen those. I've definitely... Yeah, they... they they sit there and they chop all the veggies and they put them in water or put them even in ice water mm-hmm. and then they just use them as needed. Yep, exactly. And so I actually store those in my fridge. Um, so, you know, a lot of when we're on the plant-based diet, there's not much processed uh, products in the fridge. So there's lots of space for all your fruits and vegetables. And so I have these big containers that I store, um, like my carrots, you know, and celery and the water in there. And then I have one for the greens. So I put a paper damp paper cloth down and then I put my leaves of romaine lettuce on top of the cloth and then put another paper towel, damp paper towel down and put the lid on there. And that lasts easily for four days. Um, You know, every few days I'll check it and see if I need to change the paper towel just to make sure that it's lasting longer. But um, that's a really easy way to make the salads really quick when you want them. You don't have to, you know, chop everything from scratch, it's all ready to go. But another thing you can do is actually, this is perfect for if you want to have salads on the go, if you want to take it to work, you can actually take a mason jar and have your like romaine lettuce chopped up and stuff it into the mason jar and just make sure it's airtight and there's no uh, water in that container. Um, That'll last a, a couple days. So you can make those ahead of time and then just take it with you to go. And you could have the lettuce all in one container, depending on how big you want your salad, and then have a separate mason jar for your vegetables. Um, and anything that's kind of moist, if you're using olives or something like that, you want to put that at the bottom of the mason jar and then stack up all your other vegetables and screw the lid on tight, and then you have all your toppings for the salad. And then I like to keep my dressing separate. Some people actually put the dressing on the bottom of that vegetable jar. I prefer to keep mine separate. Um, but then you can add that all together. And some people actually will, if they're having a smaller salad, mix all the greens with the vegetables so they're in the same mason jar. Wow. So this is, that's pretty advanced stuff. So, so I'm, get, <laughs> I'm getting a picture that this is not a course on, like, cook beans and rice, add salsa. This, this, is, this it, is pretty... Well, we cover that, too. But for people that want salads, um, you know, some people don't actually eat salads all that often. Um, I'm one of those people, I would rather have cooked greens. You know, I, I like my greens warm most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important when people want the salads that we can make it, you know, easy to do and sustainable. Cool. It, so- it sounds great. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just getting this picture of, you know, mo- most of us kind of know what we should be eating. And so much of plant-based education is just sort of repeating to people what we should be eating. <laughs> And it sounds like mm-hmm. this course is really giving people nuts and bolts, tools, and pr- chances to practice to make to make this yeah. 
as easy or easier than whatever people were doing beforehand. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's, I want it to be, you know, an action-filled course. It's not about just getting the information. You need to be applying it because we hear over and over what we could be doing. But, you know, it's not often that we actually go and do those things. Right. So one, well, it's time to go. But one, one last question. You, you're, um, you cook at, the, um, at True North, is that right? Yes, I, I do cooking classes every Thursday. I teach how to uh, cook this way. And a lot of times I actually go, like you said, more. I do more of the recipes that are alluring and draw people in. <laughs> um, but then sometimes I'll do the more basic classes. But it's, it's an honor to be there. So I, I'm asking because I, I haven't been yet. And, you know, I know my own experience and I know people's experience. But there must be something about seeing what happens at True North that how people come in and how they leave. That must be really oh profound. Is there anything you can share with it's us about what amazing. that's like? It's, I I'm, I'm have chills and tears in my eyes right now just thinking about it. That people come in, you know, not everyone comes in sick and with the disease state or, you know, in pain, but a lot of people do. I mean, you have people that come in and they can't walk or they can't sit for longer than 10 minutes without, um, you know, having pain. There's just so many um, conditions. People have autoimmune conditions. Um, they're dealing with diabetes. You know, they might have to get a foot amputated. There's so many different issues people are experiencing. But within a few days, sometimes it's just one day, they have less symptoms and they're in less pain. And seeing that, you know, every week I get to see that, it's it's really, really inspiring. Um, and it keeps me going. You know, I would never, ever ever consider doing anything else because this is so powerful and it's it's such a blessing to be able to contribute in any way that I can to help people do this you know and so I highly recommend anyone um, everyone to check out True North it's not just for people that have um, a disease state or you know pain they're dealing with people who are coming just to detox um, whether they actually want to do a full water fast which is what True North is known for or if they want to just do a juice fast or just eat the food. Just eating the food is really powerful because it's such a clean, clean diet. Right. Well, there's, there's a lot of us out here who are, who are hoping for a true east, you know, a, a, <laughs> a, a branch a little closer to the Atlantic. But, uh, that would be great. Yeah. Oh. Well, Katie, thank you so much. Um, so if, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? If you want to find out more about my recipes and, um, you know, what I have to offer, you can check out plantbasedkatie.com. Um, but if you are interested in the boot camp at all, if you want to take your plant-based cooking to the next level or just want to get started with plant-based cooking in your own home rather than eating out and buying, you know, vegan foods, then check out plantsbootcamp.com. And that's P-L-A-N-T-Z as in zebra bootcamp.com and then of course I'm on social media you can find me there (laughs) awesome so that starts January 12th and and for you know in case this uh, this podcast has longevity we're talking about 2015 (laughs) Um, I'm sure it will you have so many great interviews here oh thank you but if people are listening to this and you know it's 2032 or something just just check out uh, you know (laughs) plantbasedkd.com or uh 
yes. you know, I don't, I don't know where the internet going. will be then, but uh, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll be uh, teaching people how to eat healthy. Yeah, thank you, and I hope to see you at True North sometime. Oh well, just Definitely. you know, let's just you know, let let me know when the bed's reserved, and I'll be there. <laughs> okay. So, Katie May, um, thank good. you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you, Howard. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Katie May. And if you did, I hope you'll take a look at the link um, on this podcast page for her plants with a Z bootcamp.com. Upcoming interviews. Uh, soon I'm going to be talking with Amy Hamlin, who's head of the New York Coalition for Healthy Food. She's been advocating and scrapping and fighting and shouting for years trying to get healthy food into public school cafeterias. So we'll talk about um, what she's been up to. I interviewed her several years ago, and so we'll be talking about what the progress has been in the interim. Also have a fun interview coming up next week with Mike Crockett, who uh, has a great story. He was actually featured in the, uh, well, he appeared in the uh, Mickey Rourke movie, The Wrestler. He uh, works as a bouncer, and he is the most unlikely plant-based eater you could imagine. So that will be a lot of fun. Also, I'm going to interview my friend, Carrie Kay, who is a healer with many different modalities to her name. She, uh, I'll tell the story um, about how she helped me with a back problem that was felt almost miraculous. Um, and the other confirmed interviews right now, Koya Webb, who is a... Uh, a yogini and an amazing plant-based advocate for health. And um, off of the topic of food, I'll be talking to Ann Bradney, who is the founder of the Radical Aliveness program. So if Radical Aliveness sounds good to you, you'll want to tune in for that as well. Until next time, be well, my friends. <laughs>